0: Hello HPLD listeners. Before we get to today's show, this is just a quick reminder. Food for Fines 2020 is happening Sunday, October 11th through Saturday, October 24th. Drop off non-perishable food items for our local food banks and you'll get up to $70 off of your fines and fees in exchange for your donation. One can equals $1 off of your fines and fees. Collection sites include Carbon Valley Regional Library in Firestone, Centennial Park Library in Greeley, Erie Community Library in Erie, Far Regional Library in Greeley, Fort Lupton Public and School Library in Fort Lupton, Glen A. Jones, M.D. Memorial Library in Johnstown, Hudson Public Library in Hudson, and Kersey Library in Kersey. What you're going to hear today is an episode of a show called Weldcast, which was our first attempt at making some podcast content for HPLD communities and listeners. So please enjoy this revamped, revised presentation of Weldcast. Welcome to Weldcast, a digital project from the High Plains Library District. This project records, documents, and preserves the rich artistic history of Weld County and its residents through storytelling. The stories are stored digitally and are available to all users online at WeldCast.com. What you're about to hear is a torch. Not the same kind of torch angry villagers carry to storm a castle, or the kind Indiana Jones might carry through a temple. It's a glass-blowing torch. If you've never seen a glass-blowing torch, it's like this. What looks almost like a tiny cannon is bolted down to the table. The cannon points up at a 45-degree angle, and the flame spouts from the end straight out. On this Weldcast, Jamie sits down with Bryce Huffman, a Greeley resident who blows glass out of his own studio full-time.
1: So um, tell us a little bit about how you got into glasswork.
2: Uh, My parents have a cabin in uh, Estes Park. It was my grandfather's. Um, But since I was a child, maybe uh, eight years old, we would go up there and when I found the lamp working or not the lamp working, but the glass blowing studio um, up there, the Estes Park Glassworks. um, And pretty soon it became a tradition that every time we went up to the cabin, which in the summer was maybe, you know, every weekend, um, I would have to stop at the glass blowers and I would sit in there and just watch um, the guy's name was Garth, um, sit and watch him for hours um, doing his thing. Um, But I never really Really had any in it's a hard industry to sort of get into um if you don't know anybody and uh i just watched him and then uh continued my career in education um in other fields and then uh yeah like i was uh working at the restaurant when i uh met this man uh mikey montgomery that uh came from eugene oregon and was trained under uh well one of the godfathers of our modern lamp working industry um he was one of his official apprentices for uh about 20 years, and uh, he was just out here in Colorado and uh, who, asked him... Who, who's the godfather? started? Oh, yeah, Bob Snodgrass is his name. Bob um, Snodgrass. And uh, asked him if he would teach me how to do it, and he did.
1: <laughs> nice. So how old were you when you started visiting the... Um the the Glass Studio and Estes.
2: And like I said, probably eight to ten years old. Okay, so you were pretty young. Yeah, so that, yeah
1: absolutely. So this kinda caught your interest very early for yeah. an eight to ten year old. That's kind of and then you, you were fascinated
2: by it. Yeah, absolutely. It's just amazing to watch the molten glass and how they right. work it, and right. uh, well, especially being a child and not um, having much of a voice to ask questions right. and talk to this man, yeah. but just seeing him do these amazing things um, yeah. with molten glass. Um, yeah. yeah,
1: you know, it looks like giant globs of honey. Yeah, but yeah. You gotta remember it's molten. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and uh, and they, you know, they're so graceful when they work with it and. Um, can you just talk about the type of glass blowing you do? I, you, you were telling me a little bit about this when we spoke earlier. There's sort of like a hand throwing type of glass, and you do a very specific type of glass work.
2: Yeah, absolutely. Um, when people specifically say glass blowing, they're typically um, talking about furnace work, or um, people know it as offhand work. Um, and that's with the giant um, crucible that has molten glass in it and, um, the glory hole that's heated it and the really long, the five-foot punny, um, that's metal that, um, they use, that's what they call it offhand work is because you typically rest it on a bench while you're working it, um, and I, what I do is called lamp working, um, and it's, um, on a bench, um, I guess it started scientifically. Um, A lot of universities and um, lab work and lab utensils and such were created out of uh, borosilicate glass, which is um, the type of glass that's used um, in lampworking. And it's sort of evolved um, maybe in the past 50 years into um, a more artistic expression than um, its scientific background.
1: So the the type, the lampworking that you do when I was watching you do it, it was very focused and very kind of like, Uh, in one area whereas the the handheld what what did you call it the the offhand
2: work offhand work you
1: know it seems like you're more in a giant studio space and you're working with all this giant equipment and globs of molten glass instead of just like a handful of glass like you were working with absolutely yeah
2: um The other way that I suppose they break it down is into two basic categories of hard glass and soft glass, and um, that has to do with uh, the coefficient of expansion of the glass um, and how long it retains heat. Um, And the soft glass retains its heat a lot longer, so they have the uh, time to be able to get up and walk across the studio before they begin to work it, Um, where the hard glass um, has a much higher melting point and um, it stiffens up a lot faster, so um, everything's done right in front of you um, really fast.
1: And you work exclusively with the hard glass. Yes. And that's why you have to have that torch on it almost constantly, it seems like.
2: Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Have you done offhand work? Um, Yeah, I've messed around with it, um, but not a lot. Maybe and, one day's experience. Oh,
1: and what was your take on the difference, you know, the style of working with that glass...
2: Um, coming from the many years that I had um, lamp working beforehand, it was a completely new experience for me um, It was completely different and uh, i I didn't really expect it to be like that. I thought right. it was going to be real similar, um, but it was it was intense pretty much the entire day. Um, I was just trying to hang on to it <laughs>
1: right. So Bob Snodgrass came to Colorado. You Or his apprentice came to Colorado. Yeah, yeah, his
2: apprentice, Mikey.
1: Mikey. And you met Mikey, and you said, teach me the ways.
2: Yeah, basically. I mean, we worked together, so we had a lot of time to talk. But um, within months after he had uh, told me about his uh, prior career, um, I actually ended up selling my car and investing um, all the money in my first year's uh, studio and uh, supplies. Um... How did your wife take that? Um, well, it was really just a hobby at um, <laughs> right. the beginning, so it was quite. I still uh, maintained my full time job right, um, okay. working in the restaurant, um, so <laughs> it was more of just a hobby um, that I was just sinking tons of money into. I suppose right. at the beginning, how
1: did the how did glass come up between you and Mikey when you were working at the restaurant? It was just a you know I know restaurant work. You were probably just talking about stuff. And yeah, he that's said, exactly
2: how right. it happened. Yeah, just talking on the line.
1: And you found that he was... But you probably didn't know that he was kind of a big deal back then.
2: No, I had no idea, um, to be honest. Um, Like I said, I was sort of into the art scene, um, but not enough to really know um, how lucky I was to have come across this guy. Right. Um, And, yeah, a lot of people thought I was crazy because I had only met this guy and talked to him for about a month and uh, just started investing all kinds of money in this uh, new career. (laughs) Just was worried a little bit about that, I suppose. Right. She's like, do you really think this guy can do... <laughs> all he says he can do, <laughs> but um, he could. So right. <laughs> it worked out real well.
1: Can you give me and the listeners a little background on the whole uh, Oregon glass scene that this guy sort of, you know, came from and he apprenticed under... Snodgrass. What was his name? Sn-
2: Bob Snodgrass? Yeah, Snodgrass. absolutely. Um, I suppose his main notoriety at the beginning was really introducing a new form of um, coloration to borosilicate glass using um, precious metals like gold and silver. Um, and it was sort of simultaneously being discovered, um, in different areas in America at the same time. Um, they were working with it also in, um, California at Berkeley. Um, but he really opened it up and out of, again, that scientific realm of manufacturing glass to the artistic community and, um, started spreading it with everyone. There's also been, um, a real, guarded tradition over techniques and such um, with any type of glass blowering throughout the centuries even. Um, And when there's a fantastic quote, when Bob found this out, um, he said, wow, you know, I really have something here. Should I, you know, harbor this away and keep this to myself so I have something that nobody else has? And he said, no, I'm going to tell everybody I meet. Um, That sounds a lot like a superhero or religion origin right there. (laughs) (laughs) Right. So, and he did. Everyone he um, met, he started teaching his um, techniques to. And uh, in Oregon, where he was living, there was a group of close friends that studied with him and uh, really brought everything in uh, the industry and fume and color work like that um, to the rest of the country.
1: What were people making? So were they just making lamps? Is that where lamp work came from? They were making types of, what were they making?
2: Um, well, like I said, mainly at the beginning, um, a lot of it was designed um, for lab use, um, test tubes and beakers and anything right. you'd find in a chemistry right. lab. Um, and then it branched out into the art industry. And I mean, pre- pretty much most of the things you could make um, out of soft glass you can do with Boro. So vessels right. um, and... There was definitely people out there doing um artistic lamp working um okay. the little figurines you'll see a lot oh. of um small figurines and Christmas ornaments right. and decorations like that okay um the like a Galileo thermometer is like a good example of okay. something that would be scientific glass then turned into um a more artistic approach on something
1: right and what is that? Can you explain what that is
2: um it's like a mm, I don't know, maybe a 50-millimeter cylindrical tube that's Uh um, sealed with um, other smaller bubbles of some sort of liquid inside there that then float up and down based on the uh, barometric pressure and temperature.
1: Can we talk a little about the business side of it? So how how have you merged your artistic interests with the business interests? I mean, is that going well? Do you you see a future in it? you feel like you can expand doing what you're doing now? How is it working out?
2: Well, it's working out real well right now, um, at least in the state of Colorado. We have a huge um, market demand for um, pretty much anything made out of glass, um, and I feel like that will continue. Um, I'm very uh, frugal with my uh, investments in my business, um, and I feel like that helps me quite a lot. Um, right. I do have a very, maybe even more so, business mind over my artistic mind because um, I will stop myself oftentimes on projects when I don't see there being a high return on it and right. or at least put it on the back burner until maybe in the future I have that ability. But yeah, I'm absolutely focused on, uh, well, providing for the family right now. Right.
1: And you, your products are all over the place now. They're all over Colorado, and you're saying that even out of state at this point?
2: Yeah, yeah, yeah. We are in... Uh, dozens of shops in Colorado, I suppose, and then at least probably 13 other um, states around the United States.
1: Right. And is there a state or area that, you know, demands more than any other place at this time?
2: Um, Well, currently it's Colorado. Colorado, because of the... Absolutely.
1: Right. Marijuana just became legalized in Colorado. Has that affected your business? I mean, there must be... More competition at this point, more people blowing glass, or I mean, it must be a totally different world than how it started back in Oregon.
2: Yeah, absolutely. That's hard for me to answer just because um, I am so new at it. Um, And when I started even five years ago, recreational was legal. um, And I had a lot of or not recreational, but medical was legal. And I had a lot of um, clients in um, dispensaries that I was providing for. And uh, I didn't really get to see that other side of it before any of this in Colorado. And I I hear the stories from a lot of the old guys. And it just seems like a completely different world for me or something that I will ever be able to experience. Um, Because even back then, and nobody knew where this glass came from or anything. Someone would have a glass pipe, and everybody would want to know where it came from, Um, and some guy would be like, my friend's friend knows this guy that lives out in the woods, and he makes them. Um, And it was just so secretive. They were almost like freedom fighters out there (laughs) underground, like getting their product out to people um, in any way they can, and I, I don't think that'll ever... it'll ever be that way again um, or that I even came close to being able to experience that kind of thing it was just already so mainstream when I got into it that uh, it's just kind of here to stay Um, I have certainly noticed it has um, brought a ton of people to Colorado um, for instance um, glassblowers and the like Um, and that I have definitely seen even in the past five years um, a huge increase in just maybe my ability to get raw supplies um, just because the people that um, I buy from aren't able to stock because there's such demand um, for the glass we use now.
1: That's interesting. So the, there's been such an influx of glass blowers or people who are using these raw supplies that it's hard for you to get easily these supplies that you normally got just with no problem in the past.
2: Yeah, definitely. Even, um, well, the major color companies um, that manufacture it, um, and it's not just a thing in Colorado, it's all across the United States, um, where they just can't keep up with the demand of their product.
1: That's interesting, huh? Wow. So, and basically, you for you personally, other than getting raw supplies, not much has changed, I'm hearing. So, you, you kind of do your studio work, you have your distributor, and you just kind of let it go, and you just are just in your studio doing your work. So not much has changed for you other than the supplies, getting supplies. Yeah,
2: yeah. yeah. Hmm.
1: So have you seen more of an acceptance to this kind of work? uh seen it more, it seems more legitimate to people. It seems more artistic to people. Whereas before it was very, almost taboo, you know, to the point where, you, you know, like the whole Reagan era, just say no to drugs, like anything related to drugs was bad.
2: yeah. Yeah, no, I think it's definitely um, becoming more um, common in culture and accepted um, for a majority of uh, the people. And also, um, with the legalization of it, it brings the companies that are that guy in the woods into the light that they can legally manufacture a product and have a business in america um and a lot of the new startups are looking for that whereas um before it was a friend of a friend's connection or something and now companies are looking for legitimate business owners that um play by the rules and uh make a quality product right that they can rely on
1: right so how big is it now so I've I've been kind of looking online and Instagram and there seems like there's a ton of glass blowers doing what you do, the lamp work.
2: Absolutely, yeah. It um it has really been exploding um in the past uh, even five years. The five years that I've been in it, um I've noticed um a huge increase from when I started. Um and really, I mean, at one time in the nation, you could there was probably a hundred people um that knew right. these kinds of techniques, and I couldn't even begin to guess now right. how many um across America. Or actively right. working with glass
1: what else is going on in Colorado or even in Weld County that you know of
2: that's sort of really hard for me to answer because I'm really not um that much on the scene uh-huh. I suppose um like I said I, I have a family now and um I really I'm either working or I'm with my family right. um I'm a full-time stay-at-home dad so um right. it leaves not a lot of room to be out there um on the scene Um, But it is great because there is a lot of, um, I guess, friendly competition for the most part between people. And uh, I mean, I know a lot of good friends up in uh, like the Fort Collins area and we look at each other's work and, um, you know, you want to, you see what they're doing and you want to do something that's just as nice as what they're doing. And uh, it's great because there's a lot of camaraderie on it too. Um, A lot of these people um, will just give you their techniques and talk to you. And um, there's a lot of back and forth, I suppose. Um, Like I was saying, a lot traditionally... um, um, it's been really guarded secrets, um, throughout, right. um, the ages. And if you have something, you don't want to share it with everybody because then everybody yeah, knows how to exactly. do it. Um, but it seems like that's changed a lot. Um, even in the past 10 years, um, and with, um, the internet, um, is a big, um,
1: Nice platform to share yeah, platform information and um, learn stuff. That, uh, and... A
2: lot of these guys back, um, even when they started 20 years ago, didn't have. Um, so people across the country can bounce ideas and chat with each other um, and teach each other. Um, and that I like to see, and it's great to have that between uh, friends.
1: Is there anyone working right now that you know, not personally, or just have heard of or seen their work that just blows you away? You look at that stuff and you go, wow.
2: <laughs> yeah, the, well, there's probably too many to name. There's quite a few people um, that I have just mad respect for.
1: And What blows you away about it? Is it the technique? Is it because it's so complicated looking or is it just
2: so novel that you're like, how did they do that? Um, It's really probably a mixture of all of those Mm -hmm. things, because, well, like I said, with um, the share of information, a lot of the technique now is um, widely known um, to everyone, so it's more of a matter of how well you can execute that technique, and then also what you bring to it um, as well, uh, where it's not simply just copying the technique, but if you can add your own flair into it, um, and I'm really big on things like symmetry, um, and I like to see clean Accurate shaping, um, and just simply clean work. So attention uh, to craft, really. Yeah, just, attention
1: yeah. to detail. Right. You showed me these marbles, and by marbles, they they look they're giant. They're they're not like little plain marbles, but they're you know like a handful. So what are those about, and why do you like making those?
2: Um, I guess that that would be where I put my business interests aside. Um, right. I recently just learned um a lot about marbles. I took a class up in uh Denver at Golden's uh well, glass facility. Um, Glasscraft's what called by this man uh, named Freddie Ferron. Um, and he exclusively makes marbles. And before I had met him, I really uh, just would do small ones here and there. But um, it's really turned into my passion with glass, whereas um, I almost want to um, put my obligations to the side just so I can uh, make marbles for myself. And what is it that interests you about marbles? There's just some such exacting techniques and um, precision in some of the things I have to do that um, I just have to be so 100% on that um, if you don't get it right, it just doesn't look the the way I wanted the look to achieve. And right. uh, it, it just continually drives me to do it again and right. try to try to get that look that um, I'm trying to achieve. Um, and it's really hard. Right. So, <laughs> so I keep, go keep ahead, trying. Son. Oh, yeah.
1: Is there a market for those right now, or are they more kind of novelty items, gift items? There's no, no. One, I mean, what... Yeah, wh-
2: there's absolutely a market for them. Um, there's a high-end market for them, however, and that's a lot of um, the galleries um, and places okay. like that. The fine art um, collectors see, um, right? are really more um, where you're going to sell large marbles. And uh, what I mean by large marbles is anywhere maybe from two to four inches in diameter, Um so it's really more of an orb than right. than a marble, a paperweight. So
1: four inches and in, that's a pretty heavy piece
2: of glass and, Yeah, I haven't done one for it yet. Right. <laughs>
1: so is there a limit to what you can do with your lamp work setup for these marbles? I mean, how big can it can you make like art size, you know, like a foot in diameter, or is that too big at That's
2: I can't. Okay. <laughs> maybe somebody can. Right. Um those guys up at that um, workshop actually um, did one that was about six inches, maybe six point two five inches. Right. Um, and that was pushing the upper echelon of, um, size just because, uh, I suppose when, when the glass is cooling, um, that's why I said earlier is coefficient of expansion. And that's measurement of how much the glass expands and contracts as it's heated and cooled. And, um, when you get into something of that diameter, um, it'll be cooling and the, um, outside temperature will be so great in comparison to the inside at the core of the temperature that it will expand and contract at different rates and, um, cause cracks and such. Right. Um, um, so people are pushing the um, boundaries every day, it seems like. I, I don't know specifically like who or sizes of what, but right. when you're getting up there into the 6- or 7-inch size, right. um,
1: it's, it's pretty big. That's a giant glob of glass to be working with, molten
2: glass. Yeah, you know, yeah. yeah. Right. It, it takes um, you know half a day easily just to attain heat base in something that size. Right. Um, these are uh, huge undertakings when uh, people make stuff that, to that size.
1: and what others and you were making uh, christmas ornaments.
2: Yeah, yeah. Oh, I'm on the christmas ornament grind right now. Right. Absolutely christmas time. in December, yeah. yeah.
1: And you you go through those pretty quickly. Yeah.
2: Yeah, right. definitely.
1: And then tell oh, cool. Talk a little bit about your work day. I know you get you have like really crazy hours. You wake up early. You have a kid. You're sta- you know, you're kind of a working stay-at-home dad <laughs> and, and so how do you balance that? What's like what's your day like?
2: It's really hard sometimes. But, um, well, like I said, in the restaurant, I used to work early mornings. I'd have to get there at, um, five and, uh, do the par sheets and, um, prep. So I wanted to just kind of keep on with that schedule, um, and not get lazy. When you're running your own business, it's really easy to get lazy and say, I'm taking the day off. Or, you know, was the boss going to get mad at me if I'm an hour late, kind of right. thing? Um, but I kept with that schedule. I get up at like 4 a.m. every day. Um, and it, it's a little brutal right now in the winter when it's chilly. But, um, in the summertime, it's almost a necessity to work, on. Um, Um, either overnight or, um, you know, early in the morning just because it's so hot in the um, studio that I I can't work in the middle of the day because the temperatures will exceed 110, 115 maybe um, when the kiln's running and the torch is on. So out of that necessity and just that was what I was so accustomed to doing, I continued to work um, super early in the morning. So I work um, usually four to noon um, and then at noon my wife goes to work and then uh, I take care of uh, my son the rest of the day until she comes home. And then we usually have our evening's, free um, which is real nice so i'll take that trade for uh having to get up early at Absolutely. least maybe for another 10 years <laughs> right
1: so where do you see this going this uh do you have other plans expansion or you're just kind of happy doing this for now and just find it still a challenge
2: Uh, well, that's kind of a mixed bag. Um, I'd like them both, I suppose, because I am happy um, with what I'm doing right now and I would like to expand, but, um, there's always issues with expanding and I wouldn't want it to, uh, cut into my working time, I suppose. Um, I know people that have gone from a single studio, a single station studio to running a shop and then you may end up finding you're more focused on running your shop than you are actually working yourself. Um, so I want to stay connected to the glass and definitely, doing it and not more so running a company that produces glass.
1: So what what about it do you like? What about it draws you cuz you've been doing it for years and I know you you punch in like hours every day doing this. Of course there's the money side, you're making a living, but what what drew you to it and what you know you were interested when you were a kid, but what keeps you going now?
2: Um really it is just so hard. Oh, <laughs> I mean, good one, once once yeah. you get it, um, I mean, there are certain things that become more simple, but overall it's just constantly a challenge for me. Um I've had a lot of hobbies and um activities and jobs um that I felt I did really well and I, I learned them really well quickly, um, and then I would typically just get bored of it. Um and this I I just can't master it. Not a lot of people will um, tell you that they're a master in this industry, um, even though, based on the opinions of their peers, you'll get that title, but um, most people will guarantee that they're never probably going to be um, a master of their trade, that um, there's always more to learn, and then there's always something else. And um, it could be something that I even do, you know, hundreds of times, and it... Uh, it still takes 100% of my mental capacity sometimes to achieve a desired effect. Um, and it's really uh, it's driving for me to uh, want to achieve that, I suppose, right. um, to keep going because it is so tricky.
0: You can find Bryce and pictures of his work on Facebook. Just search BMH Glass Creations or go straight to Facebook.com/slash BMH Glass Creations. Additional music for this week's show provided by Foolboy Media, Farewell Princess from Freesound.org. Thank you for listening to this episode of Weldcast. If you would like more information about the project or you would like to participate, please visit our website at www.weldcast.com or call 1-888-861-7323. This has been a production of the High Plains Library District.